Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week to talk about the Tampa Bay real estate market here on the Duncan Duo Show. I am Andrew Duncan with Mike Corrigan from Cross Country Mortgage. And uh, in lieu of the absolutely crazy world that we've seen for the last few years, some people are starting to rush to the idea of buying imaginary real estate. So, Mike, I, I you know, there was an article out this week that talked about this, and and I think um, you know, when, when I look back at COVID, there were so many things that happened and developed from COVID that are, that are here to stay, but that developed because of people being stuck in their home, stuck in small places, quarantined, not being able to go out. Um, and, and I think this phenomenon of, you know, a, a push towards kind of virtual real estate, uh, virtual sports memorabilia, virtual basketball cards, and, and prices on this imaginary real estate up more than 3,000% in just the past six months. A lot of this was fueled by, by COVID-19, the, the demand for it, simply for people wanting to escape the real world for a virtual world because of how traumatic everything was for people. Yeah, it really it really is something and, and really beyond kind of comprehension, I guess, for me, um, this, this whole virtual world or why you would want to to have invest in a, a place that doesn't really physically exist. Yeah. And it's, it, it is a new thing. It's like an online real estate crush, kind of like the wild, wild west of the internet. Yes. Speculation's rampant. There's no regulation. I'm sure that won't last, but, but there's no regulation. You know, they're built on encrypted blockchains with our own cryptocurrencies. You know, it's kind of like in a way, a really advanced virtual video game um, and, and gaming, also off the charts growth during COVID, but it sounds like some of this stuff and especially, Hey, look, you know, I, I'm going to make a joke, but you know, people can't get a house in the real world because of how the supply and demand curve is, you know what, let's just go into the Sims world and, you know, buy the house that we really want on a computer. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it really is there. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot of the the NFTs. I think they call them non fungible. Yeah, non fungible tokens. tokens on, yep. Uh, on some of the you know the other stuff, the sports memorabilia, like you had mentioned, things like Pokemon cards, and everything else. But this was the first time you know that I'd really saw about real estate um, and, and and that going through it. So so it is. It's very very interesting and and certainly did become a frenzy, right? And and so much so during COVID. So this digital real estate world uh, has had so much um, buzz because of COVID, because of people looking for hobbies to kind of escape the real world. But it does kind of line up with me with, you know, video games, with, yeah. um, you know, the NFTs. And, and there was even, um, you know, recent high profile NFT um, artwork. Um, one digital piece sold for Christie's for nearly $70 million. Um, you know, and this is something that simply exists in a virtual world. I believe that it's, it's here to stay. Um, it, it's a, it's a phenomenon that's not going anywhere. Um, but, but, you know, nonetheless, you know, the world of digital real estate is definitely seeing startling deals as well. Yeah. It's, uh, the, uh, something. it's the, incredible. The ownership rights to the Mars house. Okay. This was in an article I read. It's a sleek fictional glass home on the red planet, <laughs> uh, went for more than $500,000 in March. You know what I have to say about this? <laughs> there are way too many people with way too much money to spend a half a million dollars on a fictional house that only exists on the internet like a video game. That is that is mind-blowing to me. 
But there are a lot of people that think the real estate, virtual real estate business could become the next big thing. I joked about this, but you know, if you can't find a home in the real world, then why not just go onto the virtual world and get everything you want? Right. Uh, and then, so, you know, you see what happens with some of these things too, is then, you know, they do end up selling for more, right? It appreciates in value for whatever reason, you know, online and someone, you know, buys it for 500,000 and sells it for 600,000. And that's what creates the frenzy that goes in. And, and you know, it's, it's not real, right? Like physically real, it's just in this virtual world, but it does create this fr frenzy and people like to be on the cutting edge of new things that are coming out. And this right. sure seems to be a trend. Yeah. And it could be the next big thing or it could be the next big bust, but it's, it's a bit like right. the early days of Bitcoin. You know, investors are worried about missing the opportunity to buy digital property in popular quote unquote metaverses. Some yeah. of those are uh, Decentraland, the Sandbox, Crypto Voxels, and Somnium Space. Uh, gaming company Atari even has its own metaverse in the works. So it's it's too soon to say if it's madness or if it's genius. Um, but but it's there's no question that it's definitely got demand. There are people, it, you know, that are participating, that are buying property and spending a lot of money because they envision a future where, you know, especially if we don't get more supply of homes, where the only place people are going to be able to get homes is in a virtual world. So young people are migrating to this stuff. And, and living virtually, living out their dreams virtually because the world has made it impossible for them to live it out. You know, and I, I'm a believer that I pl I'd rather play the game of life. You know, I'm, I'm not into the, the video games and things like that. But, but, but certainly I could see things like, you know, like sneakers and sports cards and, and a lot of these things with NFTs be weaved into, um, you know, this kind of stuff. But you know, there's there's just so many um, interesting things happening, and and to know that like online virtual real estate is um, you know it's not entirely new, but it, it just seems to be blowing up right now. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Most of them are not super expensive deals. Most of these are not six figure deals. You know, they're they're smaller deals. So the so the idea is that people can ultimately, um, you know, people are ultimately able to kind of live out their dreams or fantasies, you know, in a virtual world when they can't in, in the real world, you know, and investors are also bit betting big on digital land. So not just people buying real estate, but people buying land and then like being the landowner for people to, um, you know, purchase and build and going through those processes, the cheapest parcel uh, listed on Decentraland, which is one of the metaverses, was $3,429. So we're also not talking about like $10. I mean, there, there right. is a yeah, substantial yeah. amount of money that people are paying for this stuff. So I'm curious if there's someone out there listening to us right now that is into virtual land, um, that is doing some of this stuff that's involved in some of this, could you shoot us a message on one of our social channels? I don't know anyone that's playing uh, the virtual real estate game. I don't know anyone into that kind of stuff. And, and I am kind of curious. Um, so if, if you're listening to the show right now and you happen to be someone in, you know, that's involved in and, uh, you know, involved in, and, and doing things related to like NFTs and real estate, shoot us a message at the Duncan duo on any of our social channels. I'd love to hear from you and maybe ask some questions. Not everyone bullish on what's going on in the metaverse land grab, but there, are, but it is a, um, you know, a major, major, um, you know, thing that's happening in our world today. So again, you're listening to the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show here on WFLA News. Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo, Mike Corrigan, our bolts forging ahead in the playoffs. 
If you have yes. not been paying attention to our socials, we are giving away signed items, um, lots of cool lightning swag. So make sure that you um, follow us, enter our contest, and you could win some signed memorabilia from our bolts and continue rooting them along. Uh, number one reason home buyers moving away from big cities. Uh, so again, the number one reason home buyers moving further away from big cities. I want a longer commute. Said just about nobody ever. <laughs> uh, right. so, so again, your the the nice part is there's a reevaluation of priorities for buyers because of COVID. Um, you know, living further from work, it's a combination of affordability but also quality of life because so many people are able to work from home more regularly. Um, the most important features for buyers are a quiet location, followed by an updated kitchen, garage and large backyard, outdoor living areas, and space for the fur babies, AKA pets. So yes. all of these things are things that have developed and, and grown through COVID, but people, the, the location really matters to people and, and quiet location being the key word there. And it's something we haven't really talked a lot about, but if you're going to spend more time at home and you live in a big city, you're going to deal with a lot of noise, especially if there's another quarantine or stay at home order or, you know, uh, an, another, um, you know, major pandemic, um, you know, so something along those lines. If there's anything like that that happens again. Uh, people don't want to be in a big city because they're more at fear for it. But it's also the quiet in the country, in the suburbs, the noise issue is moot compared to living in a downtown highly populated area yeah and it's something we haven't really talked about because we talked about like the commute kind of the functionality but a right. lot of the move to the suburbs isn't just about getting away from all that it's also noise it's it's more quiet yeah lots of times when you're in the urban areas and, and whatnot you not just have uh you know normal hustle and bustle that you get anywhere but you can have trains and buses and maybe you're near an airport and you hear airplanes and all this other different background noise on top of everybody being in closer quarters and it, 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 noise pollution is a very real thing. Um, and you get less of it when you are out in the suburbs. So, um, and the last thing I'll touch on before we run to the break, the fed doesn't expect interest rate hikes until 2023. So people that, um, you know, and that doesn't necessarily, I mean, I want to avoid us getting into that 10 minute conversation about how the <laughs> fed rates affect mortgage rates, but, but ultimately, um, you know, it, it could bump up rates a little bit, but in terms of any massive raises in the Fed rates, it, it, we're, we're going to have a couple of years of, of not much change there. So that, yeah. that's, I think, a, a long-term, really strong thing. That doesn't mean rates won't ebb and flow and go up and down some, but it, it certainly will be less, um, the movement will be less polarizing. Yeah, I think the line that they used yesterday, that was kind of one of the big quotes is, you know, we're going to begin to talk about, beginning to talk about you know, what it would look like into the future. So it's, uh, they're, they're just at the very, the very early stages of it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think most, you know, most people, um, you know, that, that really pay attention to the market know that Fed rates don't have an immediate um, impact on mortgage rates. It's kind of a trickle down. And sometimes the opposite happens because of other financial things going on in the world. Um, but, but nonetheless, to know that we're not going to have any Fed rate hikes for a couple of years, likely, 
Uh, and again, a lot of things can change. You just never know what could happen with economic policy. But to know that we're not going to see a lot of that in the next couple of years is a, um, you know, I think a helpful long-term sign for our real estate market for the next couple of years uh, being in a really healthy spot. So again, we're going to be back. We're going to continue our conversation about the Tampa Bay real estate market after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. An article this week came out, uh, personal finance website, Wallet Hub has ranked the best and worst states to live in, assessing all 50 states on a variety of critical aspects, including affordability, uh, education, safety, and overall quality of life, as, of course, they interpret it. And the top honors for 2021 for the best state to live in, drum roll, please, everyone get ready. We have a drum roll moment because... I honestly can't even like fathom this. <laughs> this is just whoever created this. I just, I need to talk to them because I, I don't want, I don't understand. Um, I just don't. Uh, the best state to live in, New Jersey. It, followed I, by, <laughs> followed by, like, I really, whoever did this, like, I truthfully think, Mike, do you remember watching the TV show Punked with Ashton Kutcher? Yes, yeah. I, I think that's that. what's yeah. happening right now. As I'm reading this list, I'm expecting Ashton Kutcher to come running out behind of a vehicle and like tell me I'm being punked <laughs> because I just don't understand. So I'm going to go back through the rest of this list. Um, you know what they didn't what what they didn't talk about in their uh, decision making process of using data that is completely uh, subjective is population growth in terms of how many people are moving where they didn't they didn't bring that in to me the truest definition of the best state to live in is the one that people are moving to moving to like it's plain and simple if people are moving to an area then they've already decided despite wallet hubs um virtue signaling of who they want to say is the best state because of the data that they have that is as skewed as could possibly be. To me, it's population growth. The more people that want to move into a state and live there, that means it's probably the best state to live in. But let's go through this list of Wallet Hub's list um, because it's just, (laughs) I just don't understand. Um, So again, if you're from any of these 10 states and you live here now, there's a reason you live here now and left that state. Uh, because this state wasn't as good as the state you live in now, because if it was, you'd still be living there. But So let's talk about this. The 10 best states to live in, according to Walt Hub, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New York, Idaho, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Utah, New Hampshire, Iowa, and Pennsylvania. I have to you tell know, you, if you were to ask me the <laughs> 10 best states to live in, I, I just have to be honest with you. How is, and, and I'm, I'm going to keep away from politics here, okay? I'm just going to state some obvious things. How is Florida not on there? How is California not on there? How is Texas not on there? Like, how is Hawaii, like, I don't, abs- I don't comprehend where they can, it's almost like they said, we want these 10 states to be the best, so let's research and find the data that, that justifies our decision to promote that New Jersey is the best state to live in. 
Yeah, and I'm sorry, know, Jer- look, Jersey people. I'm sorry. Look, New Jersey's beautiful. Okay, it's amazing, and I'm sure it's a great state to live in. But I don't know that anyone that I know could justifiably say I believe that New Jersey is the best state to live in. It literally is the highest tax state in our union. I mean, in the nation. I mean, that's and that's not New a political York, statement. It's just a fact. And yeah. New York and Massachusetts are super high tax. So they like I, I just I'm not just not believing this at all. Like I seriously think Ashton Kutcher wrote this article and he's gonna have all these people from around the country read it, and then he's gonna show up one day and say, I punked y'all. So let's go through now. So so here's the 10 worst states to live in. Okay. Here's the 10 worst. Now, all the states that I think are the best to live in are not in the 10 worst. So they're somewhere in the middle. But but we'll talk about this. 10 worst states to live in, according to Wallet Hub. New Mexico, Alaska, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Arkansas, Nevada, Oklahoma, Hawaii, and Alabama. I just got to tell you, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just warped. (laughs) But there are states in the worst 10 states to live in that I would much rather live in than the 10 best states to live in. That's just my opinion. Apparently, I don't have all the cool data that WalletHub does, uh, but, but I do follow population growth. And to me, uh, the areas that have people moving to them the most are the best states to live in because those are the, those are the decisions that people are making. Well-informed, educated, smart people are making decisions to move to those areas because of the research they've done. So what I want to know is, why isn't WalletHub's data factor in population growth because to me that seems like it would be a really important variable here yeah and so, i think this just this just goes to show by the the writers of this article if you pick certain categories of how you're going to rank something you can almost make anything look any way you oh, want no to, i don't right? think that happened i think they picked their states and then went through and said oh yeah new jersey's number one here here and here so we these i like i think they picked the areas that they liked Yep. And then they found their their that right. they found their data to support it. Like, I just I think Ashton Kutcher is going to jump out from behind a car right now and tell me I've been punked because yeah that list. And look, I'm not hating on those places. I'm not. I it, there, there's uh, you know those are places I travel to. I'm sure there's places that a lot of people love living to. But to me, some of the most obvious states that are getting drastic population growth right now. Not being on that list is mind-boggling to me. There are plenty of those states that I think belong on both the best and the worst that make some sense. But but the, some of the states that are not there just doesn't pass the logical smell test to me. So anyway, even if you don't agree with me, I'm sorry. But I wanted to share the Wallet Hub article with you guys because I just thought most people listening to the show right now live here in Florida for a reason. And we're not on the best or the worst. We're just right there in the middle somewhere. So we'll be back continuing our conversation after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. I'm Andrew Duncan, joined by Mike Corrigan with Remax. So Mike, um, rents for single-family homes just saw the largest gain in nearly 15 years. Um, obviously, uh, more people are, uh, you know, we, we've got population growth in certain areas, but single family rents up 5.3% year over year in April. Now for people out there, they're debating this. This is where I think this comes into play. Are home values and home prices rising? Yes, of course they are. But at the same time, when, you know, we, we've got some inflationary stuff happening, we've got, you know, supplies increasing costs, we've, we've got all these variables, you know, indicating things happening. 
But in addition, you know, buyers needing to uh, take action and buy instead of rent because prices are rising so much. They also need to consider because how much rents are rising because they don't get any deductions with their rent. Their their rent is making their landlord rich. They don't get any of the equity gains. So in addition, another important part for buyers why they should really reconsider renting isn't just that by delaying the process of buying, it's going to cost them more money, but by continuing to rent, their rents are just going to keep rising dramatically. Yeah, and, and and they and you know listen, the landlords out there want you that to continue to make their make their mortgage payment right um, as 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 a tenant. And you know, landlords and investors out there that are renting, they know this. They know what's going on in the marketplace. They're paying attention, and they know that it's difficult to find homes there. So again, supply demand dynamics that's there. So they are rising the rent, raising the rents because they know you're going to have to pay it. And if you won't yep. pay it, somebody else will. And so again, it. it it's a similar situation on on the buying side, but it is even more of a reason to go ahead and buy, even though you know prices have risen and that sort of stuff. It, waiting longer, you're going to end up paying more money, not, not only now in your rents that you're paying each month, but also in the future because home prices are going to rise. And here's what I found interesting. So the rent gains are across all price categories, even the low end, but lower priced rentals were up 3.9%, lower middle 4.8, higher middle 5.1, and higher price rentals 6.1. So the higher you go on the price scale, the more the increase is happening. So to me, logic tells you that people in the higher middle and higher price rental categories can more than afford to buy a house. Right. So they're seeing um, and, 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 and so let me kind of reiterate kind of just a pendulum of math here. Okay. So in the home sales market, the largest portions for appreciation are mid and lower price points. Okay. They're gaining the most appreciation, right? So as you climb the price chart, you still see appreciation, but not as much. So then let's, let's drop the rental graph thought process on this. Higher price rentals are increasing at a greater clip, while higher price homes are increasing not at as great of a clip as the other parts of the market. Meaning that people that are in that upper end rental, they're very capable of buying a home, are being uh, additionally negatively impacted because rents are rising higher than the norm in that price point while home values aren't rising as much compared to other segments of the market. Does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It becomes the percentages thing, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's the opposite way of that. And, right. and so it ultimately, um, you know, it affects them it more. Ju it just means people in like higher price rentals should be buying homes. It's math. It's it's trends. It's it's so logical. You shouldn't be wasting your money on rent. You know, you really should. You know, buy. And so there were some metro markets where rents, uh, you know, gained the most. The the highest were, you know, ten to twelve, nine to twelve percent between like Atlanta, Vegas, uh, and Tucson and Phoenix. Phoenix. Um, yeah. You know, the lowest um, or decline markets where where rents had seen annual declines. Boston. Chicago. What I see with that trend is the decline rates are happening in really large metro areas yes. and the increases are happening in still good sized metros, but not enormous metros. So you, more people, again, kind of talking about what we've talked about before moving to areas that aren't as, um, you know, aren't as popular. So, so again, right. you're listening. 
Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. No, I was going to say, I remember talking, you know, when the pandemic happened about New York and how there was kind of the mass exodus of all that rental market in Manhattan and getting away from there. And they, so they, in places like that, where while we were seeing appreciation, they had to drop the prices, um, you know, to be able to get there because it was the opposite supply demand, um, you know, dynamic was, was the opposite of it. And I think that's what you're seeing with the Boston and Chicago, big, huge metropolitan cities. Yeah, and and I think like as you as you kind of think about that, it just it just goes to align with what we talked about before: people wanting to move away from noise, people yep. wanting to move away from big cities and congestion, people wanting to have more state space, move to more affordable areas. All those things I think come into play. So so again, you're listening to the Duncan Do a Real Estate Show here on WFLA News. When we aren't on air, make sure to follow us on all of our socials. We are at the Duncan Duo Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're on one of them. Follow us. We got cool contest giveaways. We're always putting out cool real estate content. Um, if you're a past client of ours right now, we've got a, a cool thing going on where we're giving away tickets to see the Fast Saga, Fast and Furious movie. If you haven't seen, uh, you know, my billboards uh, throughout town that are uh, kind of, you know, memeing, uh, you know, Dominic Toretto and Letty from the Fast and Furious movies. Your home sold so fast you won't be furious. Um, you know, those have those have been out there for a while now, and obviously yeah. a little promo to tag along that for all of our past clients that we're sending. Uh, you know, to to check out uh, the movie when when they wish to. Um, so, home builder sentiment drops to ten month low, and so the home builder monthly index uh, uh, hit a peak of ninety last November, um, and it's dropped to an eighty one. And and I want to talk about this because it doesn't have anything to do, in my opinion, with demand. The demand is off the charts. The struggle is. The reason why the sentiment is dropped and builders are less uh, excited um, is declining availability and increased cost for lumber and building materials because it presses on builders' margins and forces builders to uncomfortably raise prices to such a level that they're afraid of getting, um, you know, blowback, and and so it's it's causing builder sentiment to be less because they can't build quality homes for the price that they want to build them at based on what's going on in the marketplace. It's just, uh, uh, you know, it's just rampant right now. The cost of everything is rising so much that so many builders are less excited about our real estate market because of the increased costs and the inability to easily pass those costs along to consumers. Yeah. And the, and the sentiment is with a lot of them, I think, and the reason that it's falling is they're okay with some of these delays right now. And they're okay yeah. with time going past because they're able to charge more for the houses. Yep. And they're waiting for the lumber prices to come down. And they had, you know, even though they, you know, some of the articles say they're up 200%, they were up 400%. They've actually come back halfway down. So they are starting to come down a little bit. So the, a lot of the home builders have been okay with a lot of these delays in the supply chain and all of that because they, they believe that they're going to be able to charge a higher price for the home at the same time have their expenses yeah, go down as as some time passes you know because right. ultimately like if they go out and spend you know 20 30 40% more on lumber um than they did just a month ago and and then they try and immediately raise houses from 300 to 327 for the same house getting those homes appraised and closed becomes problematic so they almost because they're seeing this considerable rise in material costs it's almost like they have to acquire the material and kind of sit right. back a little bit because it's strategy. They have to sit back a little bit and let home values increase and some appreciation happen because they don't want to go out and throw these houses on the market and then have them not appraised and people aren't able to close. Yeah. 
So, so what people don't understand, I think about most, most real estate transactions are financed. Most real estate transactions have an appraisal contingency that basically says that the home must appraise at or above the purchase price or the buyer makes up the difference. Now in a hot market like this, um, there are certainly plenty of circumstances where buyers are making up the difference. But right. builders, publicly traded companies that have this huge target on them. They have to be very conscientious of not doing things that would rock the PR boat and make them look bad as a company and hurt their brand. So it's hard for them to turn around quickly and drastically raise prices without some, you know, kind of, um, you know, without some blowback and and people being upset about it. So so a lot of builders are simply saying, you know what, let's acquire our materials. But because prices are rising so much and we don't want to get stuck holding the bag on homes that won't appraise because that's such a it's a necessity for the majority of buyers. We're going to pull back the reins a little bit on our, you know, what I call like cookie cutter developments where you can't argue that one's more valuable than the one that's right next door because we need to let some of this stuff kind of work itself out. Yep. You're and, seeing and it I, everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think, again, it's just it's rampant right now. So. Um, you know, there, there's just builders that have to be, you know, strategic. And then of course, you know, there's all kinds of other obstacles. So, you know, and I get this as a business person, I, I see real estate agents get mad because builders are cutting commissions. Right. Um, and, and so as a business person, as a real estate broker, do I love that? Absolutely not. I mean, I know my agents work their, you know, what's off to earn the fees that they earn. I know that they do a great job representing, and I know a builder deal needs uh, a, a real estate agent just as much as a retail deal because of the hoops and the extra steps to jump through. So when I see this trend where builders are reducing commissions, I don't love it, but I understand the logic behind it because they're pressured to make margin and keep the market moving when prices for lumber are rising so much and they've got to find a way to still make a margin and keep investors happy and keep, keep their business moving along. And there's only so many places they can uh, you know, make that squeeze. And right now the real estate agents, the one getting the squeeze. Um, and, and, and a lot of builders are making those adjustments to commissions and real estate agents are just having to adapt. They, they really are. And, and I think I, I get it as an owner of a real estate business versus just being an agent in the business. I get the logic behind it. I don't love it, but I get it. And I, I, I will say that I think there are some builders that are still taking care of agents and they're going to come out shining when shifts in the market happen because people aren't going to forget. And there are others that are going to feel the wrath of, of that. So, um, you know, but nonetheless, it, it's a, it's an ongoing thing right now that builders have to make adjustments somewhere because rise soaring prices on materials and all the complications with getting homes closed today, the slowdowns and permitting and building and all this stuff. So, so it, it just, it, it's, it's logical. It's, it's a business move that it's what they have to do. So, um, you know, I, I've had to coach and consult my agents a few times about, you know, what not to do and how not to do it. So well, anyway, we're going to be back after a quick break. We're going to talk about credit reports and how to fix those mistakes after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. One third of Americans find errors on their credit reports. And Mike, this is, this is a big problem for people that don't, you know, I, I think buying a home, a lot of people like they go out and they start looking at the houses. And yep. they don't address a lot of the other stuff. They, they look at houses, they fall in love, and then they didn't get their credit check. They didn't verify their income. They didn't, they didn't take the appropriate steps needed to, um, to get things under control. So, you know, they, they find errors on their credit reports after the fact when it's too late. They're trying to get qualified. They're trying to fix something. They're trying to get their 
uh, prequel done. And, and they should have been checking it all along, and they certainly should have checked it before they ever went and looked at a house. Yeah, and it's one of the main reasons why we always tell people, start with the lender. Make sure you get pre-approved so we can find those things out because there are just so many errors and, you know, um, and, and things that are on there. And that can affect your score in a major way, and it can affect you know, how, what kind of financing or the terms that you're going to get. And you know, a lot of times we see them, especially if you have more of a common name. You know, if you're a Smith or a Jones or you know, something else that, that, that is on there. Um, there can be errors on your credit reports. I don't know how many times we've seen um, if somebody is a, a junior, you know, um, yeah. or, or, or the third or the senior. And, you know, they're saying to that, no, that's my dad's. That's not mine. But, yep. you know, the way it was reported and the, the sort of issues. And it, it takes some time, unfortunately, to get those things cleared up. Yeah. And I think even like, you know, I was looking through the notes and talked about the percentage of people that are finding like personal information errors, like their yes. names or address or where they lived. And then account information errors, account information errors are the bigger deal because those are going to be the ones that are going to truly um, be more likely to impact your credit score. Personal information errors could affect your ability to access your credit report. But, but the account information errors are, are the ones that are going to hurt your um, you know, hurt your ability to, to get credit and, and things like, you know, a late payment that wasn't late or an account that's already closed that doesn't have a balance anymore or an account that you've paid off or, um, you know, a, a medical bill, man, this is a big one. I yeah. mean, this is a big one, a medical, an unpaid medical bill, um, that, that you got never, you know, that was never sent to you. So it is, it can be really hard to fix your credit report. You've, you've got to file some steps. You've got to deal with the FTC. You've got to deal with all the different credit bureaus. And Mike, you guys do something as lenders that I think is cool too, like the, the rescoring thing that you guys can do when you find right. something wrong and you're able to support information that shows that it's wrong. Yeah, we do. We have, we have something with our credit bureau provider that's really, really cool is that when we take a look at your credit, at the same time we pull your credit report and pull your three different scores, it also gives us a simulation of potential improvement. So it says it goes under assumption and we can change the parameters. It goes under the assumption if you had $2,000 to help fix the credit, what could your potential credit score be? And a lot of times that's just paying down a credit card down to a little a lower limit or paying off this collection or catching different things up. But we have ways to work with you if, if you're not quite where you want to be, where we can run different. We, it's literally called a what if simulation where we can plug different things in there based on the conversation we have or what tools or resources we have to see what it can do. Um, and it, yeah. it's a great tool we provide. Well, and I think the other side of that is, uh, you know, so the rescoring thing, I think a lot of people also don't understand, you know, the differences between the credit bureaus. Sometimes, yes. you know, two of the credit bureaus are right. One of them's wrong. Some of them, sometimes all three of them are wrong. They, they don't, they don't always show the exact same information and they don't always right. show the same scores. Um, so, so they do vary, but, but it is a good idea. There are websites, annualcreditreport.com. Right. Um, you know, you can get yours uh, and what's happened, um, you know, in, you know, and again, I, I, I'm sure this is something that I think is probably going to continue, but right now through April, all three of the major bureaus are offering free weekly credit reports through April 20th of 2022. At some point, it's always going to be free. Um, right. you know, and you're going to be able to get it anytime because the credit bureaus are going to turn around and then try and sell you credit cards or loans or whatever. Like it's just, it's just, we just know what's happening. I, I log into a couple of different places where I monitor my stuff and yep. you know, I get all the, you know, you can sign up for this card or you pre-qualified, you could do this or you could do that. So, so uh, it's really not hard to get your credit anymore. It shouldn't cost you money. It certainly shouldn't cost you, um, any, any kind of 
substantial or exorbitant money. Um, but, but for the most part, it should be free, but you should look at it. You should look at it. You should make sure your score looks right. And if there's something wrong or some sort of negative thing, look at it and don't be afraid to follow the steps to, to contest it and, and to, uh, dispute it, to provide, you know, different information. But that's where the process of getting with the lender sooner really comes right. into play. Yeah, I think it's really important because uh, unfortunately, lots of times there's bad information that are given out there. You know, people call us and, you know, give us, you know, tell us that, hey, well, someone told me to do this. And it's just incorrect information, um, you know, th that that's going to be there. They focus on they spend all their money, you know, maybe paying off a collection. And in a lot of ways, once a collection's there, it's there. Right. The damage yep. has already been done. So yep. paying it off doesn't immediately improve your score. You might be better off paying down a balance on a credit card, yep. for example. And yeah. so there's a lot of bad information strategy. that gets put out there. Yeah, and there's and a it, lot of strategy, right. a lot of strategy that you guys have about which step to do versus what not to do. Absolutely. So again, you've been listening to the Dunkin' Duo Real Estate Show here on WFLA News. Make sure to all, always follow us on social. We got some cool giveaways at the Dunkin' Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Check us out. Uh, lightning signed memorabilia. Tickets to the Fast and Furious, a couple of our cool things going on right now. So make sure to engage with us on social media and have an awesome rest of your day, Tampa Bay.